Well, good morning again, and if you were here last week, or maybe you were streaming last week, you'll know that we are in a, just a short little series here that we're going to talk about uh, the life and the role that communion plays in our fellowship, in our gathering. Uh, I was asked at the first service if we're going to have uh, journals uh, for this little small series that we're in, and the answer to that is no, um, because it's over today. Uh, but we will, we will have journals next week for our next series uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take the whole summer and go through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're familiar with that, that's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so uh, we've heard from a number of you that these journals are helpful to take notes and to, for your own further study, for questions, and along the way there. So we're making those resources available for you. They'll be, both be here in person. For those of you who are streaming online, they should be available for you digitally as well. But those will be starting next Sunday. We'll be going and diving into that for the rest of the summer. It's a good time for us to do. So we'll be having those and just kind of from time to time, so be aware of that. But this morning we're going to kind of take one more look at the role of communion and or the Lord's Supper, as some call it, and how that shapes us and how it can form us to be a specific kind of people. And for some people, communion, if, as you were growing up, uh, communion was this, this kind of religious religious uh, rote ritual that you did. Just every Sunday you just filed forward and you took the stuff and you went back and no one really talked about it. No one explained what we were doing. It was just this kind of holy thing that you did and you're not really sure why, but you were supposed to do it, so you just kept on doing it and just kind of became this empty ritual that was going. And we don't want that to happen when we gather, for we think that what happens in this moment when we come to the communion table has a significant impact on how we leave and how we are formed as we go from the table. That what we experience at the table should be a way of shaping us to be the ways of Jesus. We want to come understanding the sacrifice of Jesus and, and use the physical representation of the communion elements to teach us and to lead us and shape us to be a specific kind of people when we leave. We are all about helping one another become better apprentices to Jesus. That is, we are learning from Jesus how to do our life the way he would do it if he were us. How we are to live the life that he's created us to live. The one holy life, a life full of peace and goodness and joy and be equipped to bring that kind of kingdom impact to the various places that we are being sent. We're helping each other. In other words, when we gather and all that we do when we gather should be a way to shape us to be God's kingdom ambassadors as we leave. The singing, the, the teaching, the communion, the sharing, the sharing, even the dad jokes that we share with one another, the common life together, all of that should be a way of shaping us to be a certain kind of people, a people that God is calling us to be. Last week we looked at the emphasis of communion and we looked at the emphasis of forgiveness. That when we come to the elements, we hold the wafer, we hold the little juice, and when we take the wafer and we take the juice, it is a physical reminder to us of the forgiveness and the cost of forgiveness that Christ has paid for us on our behalf. That his body was given for you, for mercy and for grace and forgiveness for you. And his blood was poured out for you. In these practical uh, elements, the, the physical representation for us, we are reminded, physically reminded, that we are forgiven people, that I am a forgiven person. 
And that is good news. For we need forgiveness and mercy and grace. And one of the things that we are to be is to be forgiving people. One indicator that we are a healthy, growing follower of Jesus is not only that we recognize that our need for forgiveness, but we are quick to be a forgiving people for those that routinely or occasionally or always offend and annoy and get under our skin. That we are to be a forgiving people for we have been the recipients of outlandish forgiveness ourselves. And communion shapes us, reminds us, forms us to be a forgiving people. When we are offended and when someone does something against us, this reminds us of the kind of people we are to be. When we regularly come to the communion table and we take these elements, we hold the physical reminder of God's love for us, that we matter to him and that our sin did not stop him from loving us or coming to us and offering forgiveness for us. And we ought to be shaped to be a forgiving people. That he would send Jesus for us to offer grace and mercy. That's a remarkable truth that you and I, and this table reminds us of this remarkable truth that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. That's a good thing for us to be reminded on a regular basis basis and that shapes how we see others how we treat others how we see ourselves and how we treat ourselves but this morning i want to take one more stab at this aspect of communion and how it shapes us particularly how it shapes us as a fellowship or as a church as a body of believers here this morning i want us to remind to remind you and me that our faith in christ is not exclusively an individualistic thing There's a tension, in other words, that I want us to hold and that we are called to live with. For on the one hand, life with God is an individual life with God. Life with God is an individual decision that you and I have to come to make to purposefully pursue a life with God. That there's a decision that you have to make for you. That you can't ride the coattails of your parents or of your siblings or of your significant other. You can't ride the coattails of anyone else. It's a decision that you and I have to individually make to intentionally pursue a life with God. So on the one hand, life with God is very individual, right? Jesus once asked his disciples, Who does every, what does everybody say that I am? Who, what's the word on the street out there? To which the disciples responded, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some a prophet, some, some other good teachers. and stuff. But then he turns to his disciples and he says, okay, well, what about you? I, enough about those guys. What about you? Because there's an individual decision. What do you think? Who do you say that I am? To which Peter responds, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. But not only is this an individual thing, there's also a communal thing. There's a personal relationship, a closeness that we are to develop with God through practices like silence and solitude and scripture memorization and all that stuff. But that's important and it's crucial for our life. But there's also a communal aspect of life. For Jesus also asked, was asked one time, what was the greatest commandment of all the commandments? Of all the Old Testament commandments and all the rabbis' interpretations of all of those commandments, what is the greatest of all these commandments? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. For our faith is not just a me and Jesus. 
but our faith is worked out in we and Jesus. So there's this tension that we are called to live in in the Christian faith, both individual but also communal. And what we experience at the, at the communion table, at the Lord's Supper, is not only a reminder of our individual forgiveness and mercy and grace that's offered to us only through Christ, but also an invitation to the communal aspect of our life, the togetherness aspect of our life. For the truth is that when we come to an individual decision to pursue a life with Jesus, we are welcomed into a family of God, brothers and sisters across the globe and across time and space that are collectively known as the church. Not a local expression, not just our small version of the church, but the global church. God is establishing a people not just individuals, but a people who are called to join him in his ongoing work in this world, to extend his kingdom to the far reaches of the, girl, of the globe. So it's very much an individual decision that you and I have to make, but it's invited into a communal life with brothers and sisters around the world. And so this morning, I want to emphasize and understand this communal Aspect And how the communion table, the practice of coming and sharing this meal together can develop a, a richness in our community life together. And there's lots of ways, but we only have time for just a couple of them. And that is, I want to emphasize the importance of hospitality in our gathering. Welcome. Hospitality in our gathering. For the life of the fellowship of a church or of a gathering of brothers and sisters when we gather centered on the person and the sacrifice of Jesus, there's a, we will be known for our hospitality and welcome. For Jesus welcomes us at his table. He creates space for us at his table. And because we have received hospitality at his table, then our fellowship, our gathering, ought to be a place that is extending that same hospitality and welcome to anyone is welcome to pursue a life with Jesus. Anyone is welcome to come and to gather with his people and to pursue an intentional life with God. You don't have to have it all together in order to come. You don't have to look the part in order to come. You don't have to have the right resume in order to come. You don't have to have all things known. You don't have to have a Bible degree and know everything about the Bible to come. For there's a welcome hospitality for those who are, have been traveling the road for a long time and for those who are just beginning the road. There's a welcome hospitality. And that's what we see at the communion table. When Jesus is gathered at that last supper with his friends, there are those who are really close to him, those who are just kind of hanging on the fringe, and they're all welcome. They're all welcome. So there's an importance of hospitality in the fellowship where you don't have to have all the right answers, you don't have to look the right part, but there's an open welcome. And that kind of hospitality will reflect the heart of God. That hospitality will reflect the heart of God who welcomes you and me and to create a space at his table for us. While we were far away from him or whether we've been really close to him for a long time, there's a welcome hospitality invitation for anyone to pursue a life with Jesus in his place and his fellowship. And unfortunately, the fellowship of the church has not always been known for that. 
Fellowship of the church has not always been a reflection of the hospitality and the welcome that we see Jesus extending in his communion tables. Because sometimes church, and by this I don't specifically mean crossroads, but for sure we could fall into this if we're not careful. Sometimes church can give the impression that you have to have it all together before you're welcome to come. That you have to have your life in order before you come. You have to have children that obey you at all times and never throw fits and never do anything. They never do anything in order for you to be welcome. You have to have the right part. You have to know enough about the Bible. You have to have not made those kind of mistakes. You can make some mistakes, but not those mistakes because anybody that falls in that category really wouldn't be welcome at a church. And sometimes the church has perpetuated that kind of mentality in the world around us. And we have not been a very welcoming and inviting place for any and all to pursue a life with Jesus. Unfortunately, the church at large has not always extended that. And when that happens, when we don't extend the hospitality that is extended to us at the table, then church and the gathering of God's people can become a very intimidating place, especially for those who feel like they're a little less than others. But if you're at all familiar with the story of Jesus, who are the people that are gathering around him all the time? Who are the people that can't get enough of him? people that know that they're less than. For some reason, Jesus is attractive to those who feel like they're less than. And unfortunately, history would tell us sometimes Jesus' church has not been attractive to those who feel less than. Sometimes Jesus' church has felt really intimidating for those that feel like they don't measure up. Somehow we've gotten off track. And at the communion table, we are reminded once again of the hospitality and the welcome that has been offered to you. It's been offered to me. And when we leave this table, we ought to be formed and shaped and molded to be a welcoming, hospitable people that reflect the heart of God, that is inviting any and all who would pursue a life with Jesus are welcome, are welcome. We're called to be governed by a different way, not a way of the perpetual culture of, of haves and have-nots and judging of, of who's in and who's out, but we're a different kind of a people. We're a people of warm, welcome hospitality. That's what we experience. Friends, at the communion table, you and I experience the greatest, well, the greatest expression of hospitality the world has ever known. The creator of the universe, God himself, sat at a table and created a space for you and for me. Those of us who are far away from God, we've experienced the hospitality, the welcome, the space to come to him, dirty and unclean and unwashed and everything else. And we've experienced the hospitality, the greatest expression of hospitality and welcome the world has ever seen is reminded at the table. And his church, his gathering of people ought to be a different kind of place. A place that has been shaped and molded and formed by his grace, by his love, by his mercy, and what we were reminded at the table is hospitality, welcome for anybody who would be coming to understand life in God's kingdom and pursue a life with God. They're welcome. There's no favoritism. 
There's no favoritism of, of you're in and you're out. There's no looking on the outward expression and outward appearances, but there's a welcome, warm hospitality for any and all. And for this, I want to take a look at, to understand why this is the case, I want to take a look at James chapter 2 this morning. James is writing to the church when he writes his letter. He's writing to the church to demonstrate this practical hospitality of welcome, of willingness to kind of understand what does this life of his church look like for us. In James chapter 1, he had just finished James chapter 1 by telling the church that to stay away from being polluted by the predominant culture, by the world around it. Don't allow the values and the structures of the world around you to get seeped into the church, for that's what he had begun to see in the church. And one of the ways that there was normal out there in the world that it began to kind of seep into the church was this aspect of favoritism and kind of uh, uh, giving favor towards one group of people and ignoring another group of people where some were welcome to join you at a table and others were shunned to the side to the corner and really not welcome to come in until they can kind of clean themselves up a little bit and he saw that in the church and he writes a letter instructing the church of, of, of how to get out of this this trap of favoritism or, or of, of hierarchy of of you can become welcome and you're not welcome and, and it's inclusive and exclusive and he started writing the church in James chapter 2. He's got a few things to talk about and reasons why the church ought to be marked differently than the world around it. And the first reason that we ought to be marked by this hospitality or this welcome or this no kind of this kind of favoritism in the church or no kind of exclusive club in the church, the first reason James tells us is because of the glory of God. Because of the glory of God. Listen to James chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Notice how James addresses the church and how dealing with this issue of favoritism, of allowing some people are welcome and some people are not welcome. Notice how he addresses the church there. He says, brothers and sisters, people in the church, right? These are, these are brothers and sisters, but he also calls them, they are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Believers in the glorious Lord, as, as followers of Jesus, as Christian people, we acknowledge the reality of the almighty, glorious God, whom the Bible describes as one who lives in unapproachable light, the holy of holies. We acknowledge the, the presence and the, the knowledge of, of the goodness and the holiness of God. And that the only proper response, when we understand the glory of God, the only proper response is to bow in humility, not stand and puff out our chest because we know more about the Bible than somebody else. The only proper response when you get a glimpse of the glory of God is to bow in humility, not to puff your chest out because you win Bible trivia every time. The only proper response is to understand the glory. There's one who's enthroned. And we are believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And when we recognize the glory of God and that all of us 
our people, we, we recognize and we acknowledge what the psalmist says. What is people that you are mindful of us? There's not this arrogant pride because we've got it all figured out and all together. But there's this humility. When we recognize the glory of God, then we recognize that he alone is worthy of adoration and glorification and honor. Now we, but we recognize who we are. We recognize our place. See, part of the problem about favoritism, getting into the church and showing favoritism to some and welcome to some and excluding others, that we've forgotten the glory of God. We're more concerned about our own reputation and about our resume and about how great we've done and how good we've stayed away from those naughty sins on the naughty list. And we're more impressed with our behaviors and we're more impressed with other people and how great they're doing and those things. Then we're more impressed with each other than we're impressed with God. We're more impressed with our resume and our ability to, to maintain some kind of semblance of having it together than we are with the glory of God. But when we recognize that you and I gather in this space, there's only one who's worthy of our worship. There's only one who's enthroned on high. There's only one who's glorious. And his name is not Brian. His name is Jesus. And when we get an idea of that, when we have an idea of that understanding, then anybody is welcome. It's not that I am more important because I stand on the platform or the worship team stands on the platform. It's not because I know more than somebody else knows. We are all believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ and all the rest of us now. We, now we can love and, and encourage one another because we recognize the glory of God. Our job is not to glorify ourselves, not to be impressed with our own resume, not to try and impress others with our resume about what we do, about where we live, about what we've done, and all those various things. Our job is to glorify Jesus. And that's it. Jesus. And when we can glorify Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we get that right, then we can love our neighbor as ourself without pretense, without posturing, without trying to impress you with my resume. I can just simply love you. And you can love me. And our fellowship will have a distinct flavor to it that is good and holy, pleasing. See, the first reason that we're not to show that kind of favoritism is that we recognize the glory of God, the glory of God in our place. But James gives us a second reason if we keep reading, and that is that God sees the heart. In James chapter 2, he says, Listen, dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones you are that are blaspheming the noble name of whom... You belong? God has chosen the, those who appear to be poor, to be rich in faith. But our vision is, is limited to the externals. Our vision is limited to what we see on the outside. And what James is reminding us of is what Samuel in the Older Testament had to be reminded of when he was looking for a king. He was looking to anoint a new king. He was looking at all the externals. He's looking at all the stuff that, well, who's, who looks like they've got it together? Who looks like they've got the material wealth? Who looks like they know everything? And yet what Samuel had to learn, which James is reminding us, the Lord doesn't look at the externals, but looks at the heart. 
looks at the heart. So who you are on the inside. And when you and I can do the work to push past looking at the externals, external or outside appearances of those that maybe think they have it together or look like they have it together or anything else, if we can learn to push past that and listen to the heart of someone, then there's something rich in that person that you and I may have overlooked. We may have missed because we were too concerned about the outward appearances. And when we see someone coming, oh, they're welcome in, but we miss their heart. We miss not what James is telling us is to learn to see people with the eyes of God that pushes past all the posturing and resume showing and name dropping and all that. Push past all that and just simply notice the person for who they are. And in that way, we reflect the heart of God who sees the heart of people, not the outward appearances, not the outward appearances. And when we follow the ways of Jesus, when we can notice the person and not their performance, but notice the person, and you extend a warm welcome and hospitality, and you help them to feel noticed, and to feel heard, well, there's a joy and a goodness that wells up even in us, even in us. And if you don't believe me, just ask one of the volunteers who served last weekend at the Playmaker football camp. Because on that football field, in that stadium, on that Saturday, it didn't matter if you were physically able or if you had challenges. It didn't matter if you were a man or if you were a woman, if you knew lots about football or nothing about football. If you were young, if you were old, if you were employed or you were unemployed, none of that mattered. All of it mattered that you felt like you were a part of something else, bigger, and you were welcome on that stadium. And there was a palpable joy that settled in. And each one of us felt it, saw it, expressed it. There were smiles and hugs and high fives that were given all day. I believe it was there, and whether people recognize it or not, I believe it was there because what we were doing is in direct alignment with the heart of God. There was no favoritism. There was no special treatment because you're physically able. There's no special treatment because you know about football. There's no special treatment because you, you know, have this address or that address, none of that. The palpable joy that settled on that is because we chose to walk in direct alignment with the heart of God. And when you walk in alignment with the heart of God, there is joy and goodness and a peace and a settledness that settles into your soul for that is how you have been made to live you've been made to live if you don't believe me ask any number of us that were there any number of the volunteers that were there about the joy that we experienced when there was no favoritism no special treatment but we saw everybody with the eyes of jesus that was a wonderful event and i long for the day when our world is full of that I long for the day when you can go to the grocery store not worrying about anything else, but everyone sees everyone with the eyes of Jesus. I long for the day when the churches represent the ways of Jesus in that. And the way in which we're going to get there is that we become the kind of people who are learning to live by faith, trusting and believing that the way of Jesus and the way of seeing other people, the hospitality of Jesus leads to an eternal good life that we can experience right now. And there will be this palpable 
joy that we experience. And this place, this church, this gathering will be a distinct place with a flavor of Jesus that is so attractive to those around us. So what would that look like for you? What would it look like for this place to take on that kind of a flavor? Where we would glorify Jesus and we would magnify him and, and we wouldn't show favoritism and it wouldn't be any kind of special treatment for anyone else for we recognize there's only one who's worthy of the glory and honor. That's Jesus and the rest of us, well, we're doing our best to love each other. Right? What would it look like for you to see one another intentionally come into these gatherings and walk towards hospitality and welcome? How would it change your approach to Sunday morning when you're driving in and you're going, what does it look like for me to extend a welcome to make sure that somebody, two or three people, knew that they were known and they were, they were noticed and they were heard? What would it look like? How would it change your Sunday morning? So I hope one of the markers of our church over this next 20 years as we get ready for the launch into the next season of our church, I hope one of the markers of our church is that there would be a palpable, just feel it in the air of hospitality, of welcome, that those that you would come in contact with at work or in your neighborhood or at school or wherever that you find yourself, that they wouldn't feel that we are a stuck-up, snobby, kind of church, but we are a welcome hospitality. Come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up, for this is a place where we magnify one name, and we got our name, and we've put our attention on him, and him alone. I pray that that would happen more and more, but that's going to take each one of us to come to the table and recognize the hospitality that's been extended to us, and learn to extend that to those around us. As we come, as we gather this morning at the table, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Emphasizing this aspect of communal nature and this aspect of you extending hospitality to the people around you. We're going to invite you to serve communion to each other. That's how it's going to go. It's a little bit different than we've typically done it here, but maybe you're familiar with some of this stuff. But here's what's going to happen. In a moment, we'll do the responsive reading, the, the liturgy that will be on the screen, and you can follow along in a moment. But as that goes, one of the things that will happen, we'll take the elements down to you. And we'll give you the little wafer, and we'll say to you something like, this is the body of Christ which was given for you. All right? And you'll take the little wafer, and then you'll you take the tray and turn to the person next to you and serve them. For this hospitality, this welcome that we experience is meant for us to extend it to the next person. So it's not just for those of us on the platform to do for you, but for you to do for one another. And then the cup will come to you and we'll ask you, they'll tell you this is the blood of Christ just poured out for you. And then you take the cup and you give it to the next person. Just pass it around. We'll get, send one in each of the sections and just to get up, move, go to the person near you and just serve them the little wafer, and then serve them the little cup. If you uh, want, prefer one of those pre-packaged uh, deals, they'll be on the wafer uh, tray, and you can grab one of those. You can go from there. But it's just one way for us to practically begin to practice extending the hospitality that we've experienced. So don't get all worried about the words you say about those things, right? When the bread comes, when the wafer comes, it's the body of Christ given for you. 
And when the blood or the, the cup comes, it's the blood of Christ poured for you, poured out for you. Go from there. Serve one another. And when you do, when you do, would you just be reminded, what does it look like for the church, for us, to serve and to extend a welcome to any and everyone that would want to first pursue a life with God? Welcome here. Welcome here. What does it look like for our church to be like that? Well, if you would just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes, a moment of silence, of reflection, to recognize the, the grace that has been offered us, and what does it look like for this place to look like Jesus? In a moment, we will lead you in the responsive reading. We'll read the white, and you respond in the yellow. But just in these moments, reflect on the grace that has been offered to you in Christ.